0: how cool is this? So somebody reached out to us. This is Asher uh, And it's the blessing that you say when you come out the bathroom. And um, basically when you read it, you are just thankful for every part of your body. And you, you're thankful for your lungs, your every limb, every, uh, the words are, are very, very powerful. You know, if Hashem would rupture or one part of my innards will stop, I will cease to exist. I, will, I wouldn't be able to live. And there's so much of us, you know, in our brain, let's say, the amount of synaptic connections in our heart, if one small vein, you know, there's certain parts of our body which is literally a thread. And if that breaks, it won't work. And we just stop existing. So um, this is a very special bre- blessing that we say when we come out the bathroom. And um, what's really cool is that uh, when, you, when you say it, you're, it's a blessing for yourself to have more health in your life. It's a blessing by recognizing how much, you know, how much good is happening to you at every second. Then it's a blessing to you to be stronger and more healthy and more appreciative of your life. So um, what's really cool is that somebody reached out to us randomly the other day and said, Hey, I, um, I want to start doing this blessing after the bathroom. <laughs> not many Jews reach out saying, "Hey, I wanna. Do you have a printout of the blessing after the bathroom?" So um, and not
1: only that, I, I must say that she wanted specifically not just a printout. She wanted like a nice one, um, you know, to put like right outside the bathroom because really you can open any sidur, you'll find it. That's not the point. She wanted something nice, that's pleasant, that every time you know she'll it's gonna be on the wall and she'll remember to say it, and it's going to be in the merit of the person that needs uh, recovery.
0: Yeah, One of the rabbis gives me this, uh, that's here, says, hey, do you think any of your guys would want one of these? <laughs>
1: no one ever asked us that. And she was like, I yeah, told okay, her, you have to, I sent her a voice note this morning. Like, you have to hear it. Because she was looking for that. And I said, you know what? Uh, we were looking online, both of us, and we couldn't find a nice one. And then I said, I'm willing to... Let's just download, I'll print it in color, I'll laminate it, and here you go. You have a poster. What do you, you don't need to buy. I'm happy to do this. So we're looking for a nice one. And I think, and this one is beautiful, the one that Robert Jack is showing you. Yeah, it looks you. nice. And, uh, yeah. But
0: it's, it's just cool. crazy how, um, like we were saying last week, like nothing happens for no reason. Yeah. And here we go. Okay, so we are on the Torah portion of Vayechi, which is the last Torah portion of the story of Joseph and his family and Jacob uh, the last Torah portion of Bereshit, of the book of Bereshit and we're going to be speaking about blessings because in this week's Torah portion Jacob is about to pass away, he's 147 years old, yes an old man, and he tells uh, his children that I'm going to bless you, he first calls his two two of specifically his grandchildren from Joseph that lived in Egypt. Um, And then he calls the rest of his children and blesses them all. So I want to talk about those blessings that he gave them because, you know, when it comes to blessings, what is it? What is a blessing? How can a blessing change a situation? What does that mean? We're very confused in terms of what a blessing really means. And what is a blessing that will last? Because... You know, right now we've got the the lottery going on and, you know, and there's $400 million that's being offered. You probably won't get that much. But, um, you know, when it comes to it, at the end of the day, what? let's say somebody wins it. How many people do we know that won the lottery and they were really in a mess afterwards? You know, I, I actually don't know, but, you know, I I hear many stories. There's tons of stories like that where people get so much money and they blast it and everyone asks them for it. Um, there's a way that people make money you know, through gambling, let's say. And then there's a way that's making money, which is a blessing. The same is when we, ble- when we pray for rain, we pray for gishme Brachah, it's rain of blessing. We don't just want any rain. You know, rain can happen during the summer. It can happen happen during the winter. It has to happen in the right time. If the crops are growing, you don't want rain, right? Geshem in Hebrew means physicality. When we pray in in our silent prayer every day for rain, we are praying also for for monetary success. Monetary success needs to come in the right way. It's not only about, I'm sure everyone here can say the same thing. There's times when you made money and the money lasted. There's times when you made money and the money just went so quickly. I'm sure everyone will tell me that there's been a case where that happened because there's two types of... There's some people that have a small amount and they're so happy with their small amount. There's some people that have so much and they are unhappy. Some people said, you know, we're getting the 2000 Hopefully, people are going to get $2,000 each um, uh, from uh, the, the government because of what's going on with COVID. So some people say, well... Not everyone should get the same amount of money. Let's give it to those that need it. Well, how do you know who needs it? Just because one person has a nicer car than the other means that one person needs it less than the other? You don't know what their personal situation is. It's very independent. There is obviously some kind of absolute you know, truth to a situation. Like, Okay, you're earning a few million a year. You can't ask for that. stipend, but in general, uh, you know, there's, there is this notion that we do not know what people are going through, no matter how much money they have. So what is a blessing when, when I want something in my life, how do I know it's going to be really good for me? And how does the blessing work in the first place? So that's really this week's Torah portion that I want to talk about. I want to go through some of those blessings and also, uh, definitely go through um, uh, some other things as well, like the story of this week's Torah portion as well. So I'll start with doing that first. So we know that Jacob moved to Egypt because there was a famine and he lived there for another 17 years before he passed away. So he came into Egypt at 130, 147, he passes away. And he was there for another 17 years, the whole family because there was a big family in the whole Middle East, everyone moves to Egypt. The whole entire family, the 70 uh, members of his family, all moved down to Egypt to live with Joseph, who's now like a king in Egypt. And um, it says that Jacob says to Joseph, please, I'm about to pass away. I'm getting very old. I feel my time is coming. He's getting sick. And I want you to make an oath. I want you to make a promise for me. I want you to promise that you will bury me, not here, but in Ma'arat HaMachpelah, which is in Israel till today. It's the hol- one of the holiest places in Hebron. If you, any of you have gone to a trip, birthright trip or one of our trips, normally they take you to Hebron, where our forefathers and matriarchs are buried. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Adam, Eve, right? they are all buried there. And Jacob says, take me back to Israel. Promise me that you're not going to bury me here in Egypt. I want you to make an oath. And he begs him. And eventually Joseph says, okay, I promise I will take you back to uh, Israel and bury you there. And immediately after he makes that promise, Jacob, his father, old man, gets up, prostrates himself, goes down to the floor, bows down to his son and says, thank you and goes back onto his bed, very sick, but he bows down to his son and says, thank you. So that leaves us with a big question. What's going on here? Why would Joseph, why would Jacob find it so important for him that his own son would make sure to bury him in Israel and not in Egypt? Why was it so important? And what we know, based on the stories that I've been telling you till now, of the story of Egypt, right? Joseph was sold by his brothers and left in Egypt alone for many years, and eventually his family comes to Egypt. They find him. Long story that we've been saying till now. But why was it that Jacob made him promise? That's the question that I want to get into. What was the reason that Jacob made Joseph promise? Why couldn't he, Joseph just say, yes, I'll do it straight away? What was the need for that extra, that extra uh, promise? So, We know that as soon as the the famine in Egypt was meant to last for how many years? Does anyone remember? We've been speaking about this. The famine in Egypt was meant to last for seven seven years. And uh, instead of lasting for seven years, after two years already, Jacob with his sons moved down to Egypt. And immediately after Jacob comes, the famine stops. No one knows this, but actually the famine stopped. Jacob was a very powerful, miraculous man. They were like Smallville superpowers, just way cooler, right? That's how the Jewish people started. Amazing stories that we know about them. So they come into the land of Egypt. And I wanna, I'm not just telling you these stories for no reason. These stories all have a message for us. We're going to get to the messages in a few minutes because they're so powerful. So eventually they come. And um, when Jacob's there, the famine stops two years in. Pharaoh knows that the famine's meant to last another five years. He had the dream it's meant to last another five years. Not only that, when Pharaoh meets Jacob, he feels the presence, and Jacob blesses him, blesses Pharaoh. And one of the blessings he actually says to Pharaoh is that whenever you go to the Nile River, the river will come up to you. Because in Egypt, the, they relied, it's a desert, but it relies on the water of the Nile River that goes through the whole, basically the whole country. So his blessing was, whenever the water comes to you, it will come up to you. And um, that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh took it to a whole new level. The pasuk, the verse says, he says about himself, Pharaoh says, he says, I made this river. Because people started seeing miracles happening with Pharaoh because of Jacob's blessing. He said, this river is (laughs) mine. I made myself. He said, this river that's miraculously coming up for me, this mine. And also, I made myself. Never mind that when somebody says, I make myself, you have to ask, okay, so if you made yourself, so what came before you that made you, right? That's the obvious question of any human that claims that he's a, a deity, a God. How can you ever make that claim? Because what made you that allowed you to be created? you said you created yourself. So what made that thing that created you? So um, Pharaoh said, I'm the one that created myself. And that obviously eventually led him to thinking that he's a God and destroying the the, the Egyptians believed him. Uh, But one thing's for sure, Jacob was sacred to Pharaoh. Pharaoh looked at Jacob as a holy man, like a godly man. And for that reason, Pharaoh knew that Jacob will never Uh, uh, Sorry, Jacob knew that Pharaoh would never let Jacob leave Egypt. He was like, he was too valuable for him. They're going to mummify him. That's what they do in Egypt. And they're going to keep his body and they're not going to, they're going to make him a very valuable God for the land of Egypt. It's too much value to take away, to let Jacob leave after he passes away. So Joseph, Jacob says to Joseph, please make me this promise. You have to make A promise and he also says once you make this promise tell this promise to the ears of pharaoh tell this promise that you now made me into the ears of pharaoh why because we know that when we know that when joseph went to meet pharaoh the first time after he was pulled out of prison is is this all very foreign to everyone or you get the story so far right it's all it's good Okay, so after Joseph was pulled out of prison, you remember he was in prison whilst he was in Egypt as a young boy, and when he was pulled out of prison, uh, it says that according to uh, the midrash and Jewish teachings that the night before, um, the night before that b- before he came out of the prison, he was told all the languages of the world. Joseph knew all the languages. That's why it says. I didn't know any language, but suddenly God gave me all this wisdom and he started to know many languages. So when Pharaoh would call him, this was, you know, in Egypt, they worshipped wisdom. They valued wisdom. And um, when he came out the prison, Pharaoh called him and he says, Hey, I hear that you're an interpreter of dreams. He says, No, I do, but it's God that helps me. And then he says, Pharaoh says to him, in one speaks to him in one language. And as soon as Joseph knows that language, he's allowed to move another step closer towards Pharaoh. Pharaoh had 70 steps until his throne. And each time Pharaoh would speak one language, Joseph was given permission to move up another step until he managed to get right up to Pharaoh. And right there, at that point, Joseph knows one more language than Pharaoh himself. He knows Hebrew. And he says, Shalom, Shalom. Mashalom, How are you? And Pharaoh's like, uh-oh. Now he knows more language than me. He's meant to be the god of Egypt. That was their value. He needs to be the god of Egypt. So he makes a promise to Joseph. He says to Joseph, "Listen, I'm done with this whole job that I have as being the king of Egypt. I want you to come take my place. You'll have all my power. You'll have my my throne. You'll have everything." just allow me to stay in my position because according to the rules of Egypt then if someone knows more languages or is more wise than the king he has to take the king's position so whilst they were hanging up there at the 70th step when no one was listening Pharaoh says please make me a promise you'll never tell anyone this secret that you know one more language than me because as soon as everyone knows you know one more language than me they'll make you the god so don't Tell anyone that you know one more language than me. And Joseph makes a promise. He says, okay, I make a promise. I won't tell anybody. You give me the position. I won't tell anybody. So that's what Jacob said to Joseph. Jacob says, listen, I made you promise now. I wanted you to make a promise that you'll take me and leave me out of Egypt. Because you know that if... Pharaoh comes up to you and says, no, don't let Jacob leave Egypt. I need him. He's a blessing for our land. You can always respond and say, I also, if you make me undo this oath that I made for my father, I will have to also undo the oath that I made to you secretly in your ears. So that's the words that Jacob was saying to Joseph. Speak it to his ears. Tell him, remind him that story when you were privately speaking to him in his ears and tell him, if you make me break my promise for my father, I'm going to have to break my promise for you. It's a very powerful message in terms of oaths and committing to your words and finding also a diplomatic way of getting out of something. It's very wise. Everything was very well thought of. I want to just continue the story a bit more because it's fascinating exactly what happens and then go into the blessings that happen because it's going to really change the way we think of our life and help us as well in terms of how we think uh, of blessings in our life. So um, after this, Jacob says to him, uh, Jacob says to Joseph, "Okay, now that you've promised me, I want to also explain to you that your mother, Rachel, is not buried in Ma'arat HaMachpelah, where all the other parents are buried. Your own mother, you might ask me and get upset with me, hey, why didn't you bury my mother where everyone else is? But we all know that the tomb of Rachel is a separate place than all the other matriarchs. She has a separate tomb. And it's in the middle of nowhere. It's in Beit Lachem until today. Everyone goes, many, many Jews go there more often than the Hebron, to pray at the tomb of Rachel. She's the mother of the Jewish people and she's there to pray. So Jacob says, listen, you're going to help me bury me and not just leave me here. Don't ask me how come I didn't bury your mother because when I when I didn't bury your mother, that was through God's commandment. I was told that she needs to be buried on the way out of Egypt of Jerusalem, just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, Rachel needs to be buried there because eventually, when the temple will be destroyed a thousand years later, Rachel will be the one that will pray she will always be the one that will pray for the Jewish people, and uh, when the Jews are leaving the Temple Mount, which will be destroyed in the future because Jacob knew. And he said he says this to Joseph, in the future, in a thousand years from now, when the Temple is going to be destroyed, the Jews are going to be leaving the Jerusalem and they're going to be completely despaired, sad, la- lacking hope. They're going to walk past the tomb of Rachel on the way and she's going to pray for them, specifically her. Why specifically Rachel is the one that always is the mother of the Jewish people, that she's the one that's going to pray for us all? Why is she the one that prays for us and God listens to her prayer more than anybody else? It's a very important message here. Because Rachel was the one that gave up, sacrificed her relationship with Jacob. Remember the story with Jacob? Jacob comes to the house of Lavan. And he needs to get married. And he's meant to get married to Rachel. Love and tricks him. After seven years of working, he gives him another girl, his other daughter, Leah. He doesn't give him Rachel. He tricks him and gives him Leah. Rachel actually helped Leah on the night of the wedding. On the night, they made a huge party. They covered Rachel. They covered Leah. And he makes the wedding, the whole, com- the whole wedding, hey, uncover and then it's a different woman. It's, a, it's his daughter. It's, a, it's Lavan's other daughter, Leah. Instead of Rachel, after working for seven years, instead of getting Rachel, he got Leah. And the reason why he got Leah was because Rachel gave up of herself and said, I could see that my sister, Leah, is sad and she's going to be embarrassed if uh, I don't tell her the code, the secret code that we have between us between me and Jacob, Rachel Rachel had a private code. Jacob wasn't stupid. Seven years before, when he committed to working for Rachel, for seven years, he thought that Lavan's going to trick him. He had a private code between Rachel of what they're going to speak about on the day of their wedding to make sure that it's really her and he didn't trick her with another sister. And Rachel gave up that code to her sister, to Leah, because she knew that Leah also has the right to be of the has has the right to be part of the Jewish people. Just one second. So, um, long story short, but Rachel gave up her rights and gave up her commitment. Can you mean? I mean, to the person that she loves, that she wants to marry. She said, "I'll give it up just for my sister," and. Um, Because of that, she always has the power to pray for generations on for the Jewish people to say to basically to Hashem, to God, look, I gave up something massive for the Jewish people. Hashem, please give up something from your end for our people as well. So Rachel has the power to pray for all of us more than anybody else. But it teaches us a very powerful lesson here as well that when somebody sacrifices themselves for something, When somebody's willing to, like Rachel did, she was willing to sacrifice herself for the sake of her sister, for somebody else, that is a blessing that stays for many years on, not just for her generation, but for many years on. In life, we need to know, if you want something to be a blessing for you, it has to come from a place of commitment. There's some people that sacrifice their time and their effort to get something good. And some people just get it straight away. Well, the people that sacrifice their time and put in all their effort to get it are the people that at the end of the day will succeed. And I'm talking about spiritually. Maybe physically it doesn't always work that way, but spiritually it does. Somebody who's willing to sacrifice something, sacrifice their time, leaving, uh, I'll tell you about my own my own father, from a young age, right, from 13, he left his home in order to study Torah. From the age of 13, my own dad. And um, he has a tremendous knowledge of Torah. That's not for Arjun. I mean, his knowledge in Jewish law and Torah is, is tremendous. And I think, I believe, and that's what many, his Mesirut Nefesh, his, Sacrifice that he took in order to um, study by being away from home for so many years from Morocco, he left and came to England. And from there on, he sacrificed so much for the sakes of his own growth. He was able to achieve so much more. When somebody's able to really put in an effort into something, they are able to not only get a blessing from it but that blessing will last them many years on, not just to their generation, but generations on as well. And we see that with Rachel very much as well. She specifically was the one that sacrificed something tremendous, her own relationship for the sake of the embarrassment of her sister, for the sake of her sister as well being part of the lineage. She sacrificed her own relationship. Hashem says that's something which will be a blessing for our people forever on end. Okay, so I just want to take you also after this now to the blessings um, and talk about some of the blessings that Jacob taught. So we know, very, very interesting. Jacob calls in the two sons of Joseph. Joseph has two sons whilst he was in Egypt alone, away from his family, thrown in the pit. Years on end, he was in prison. Finally, he was released from prison and he comes now second in command, the leader of Egypt, and Jake, Joseph is now, gets married. He has two kids. One kid he called Menasheh, that was his first child. And he calls it Menasheh because he says, Ki ni Elokim, Hashem made me forget all my troubles. Hashem made me, saved me and took me out of all my pain. So he calls him Menasheh, mean, which means he made me forget all my past and my pain. And then his second child, he calls him Ephraim. Ephraim means Kifrani. Hashem made me fruitful and successful here. Not only did he make me forget my past, but he also made me come the leader of Egypt. I mean, this is insane. So Joseph gave his children two names. One was Menashe, and the other was Ephraim. Now these two children are brought to Jacob just before he passes away. And Jacob says, Bring them, bring them to me. I want to bless them. And obviously the oldest child is Menasheh. The younger child is Ephraim. And Joseph places the older child on the right of Jacob and the younger child on the left of Jacob. Because that's how it is. The older one should get a precedence. He should be blessed first. And immediately as he does that, Jacob very strangely crosses over his hands and he puts his left hand on the head of manasseh and his right hand on the head of ephraim and he starts blessing them now that's strange because you're meant to put your more energy on the older child less energy on the left on on the on the younger child he should have given a stronger blessing to the one that was born first but he didn't he gave, he crossed over his hands and put his left hand on his, his older son and his right hand on the younger son. And that's strange. Kabbalistically, when you do things, always put the right first, then the left. You don't give precedence to the younger child. It's like us on Shabbat, right? On Shabbat, we have all our children on the table. And Gabe, you can unmute yourself. Just one second, let me just explain one more thing. On Shabbat, we have all our kids on the table. So everyone needs to get a piece of challah. You guys don't see this when when you come. There's so many people in the house, no one really sees what's going on. But when there's no one in the house, then all of a sudden the kids are around the table and uh, they all f- say, I should get the challah. They're hungry, they want the challah. And I made the blessing and I give out the challah. Obviously, there's got to be some kind of order so we go by the order of who's the oldest. Otherwise, they're all going to fight. So we give the challah to the oldest, which is Debbie, and then to the second, then the third. It also teaches a certain sense of discipline in the family. It's a very important thing that people should recognize that you know there's different levels in the family. Everyone's loved equally, but there's different precedents that there is within the family itself. Gabe, did you want to say something? Yeah, I did, Rabbi. Thank you. Um, this I, I've been reading the Parsha this week, and I thought this was super interesting. And
1: Because uh, obviously you put the oldest on the right, and, like they get the right hand. Because
0: like you said, Kabbalistically, the right side is um, favored. But I, I had a thought about this because it was Yaakov giving the blessing. And Yaakov was actually the younger uh, brother that got the blessing when he got his father's blessing. Um, obviously we know that story It goes differently with him buying the birthright and some trickery and whatnot, but, um, I just thought that was interesting.
1: Like, okay, well, Yaakov wanted to give the younger, uh, brother in this case, the blessing just as he was the younger brother that got the blessing himself as well. So I kind
0: of thought there was a, a parallel there. There is a parallel. I'm going to get to it. It's fascinating. Very so great. here, here is a uh, thank you, Gabe, please. And um, it's awesome that you threw that in. So, um. So he crosses his hands over, and he starts saying a blessing. He says, The malach, the angel that has been with me, that redeemed me all along. We all know that when he left, Jacob was alone. This is very important, by the way, for somebody that feels lonely, that feels challenged, that feels that there's no one with them. Don't forget Jacob. Jacob was alone when he left, ran away from Esau, his brother, and had to survive on his own. He was alone. And what happened? He had that dream. What did he see in the dream? The ladder. On the, on the ladder was angels going up and down. And we understand that according to Jewish teaching, we can't see this, but in reality around us, right? maybe in my background you can, but in, in reality around us, there's a lot of action going on. We don't see it. There's angels everywhere. That we all have even a flower, a stone. Everything has an angel behind it. Now, angels are not just what we think of, like flapping wings. And this is all figurative speech. These are spiritual beings. And they are actually existent. They, they really do exist. And we, we truly believe this. And it's important for a person to know that there's always a malach. There's an angel that's appointed upon you. That's you. In around you, and it's surrounding, it looks after you. There's also Malachim that we create. It says that every time you do, uh, according to Jewish tradition, this is what we know, that every time you make a bracha, you create an angel. Every time you uh, do a mitzvah, there's an angel that's created. And same with the other way around as well. Every time we do something wrong, an angel is actually created. When we leave this world, we start seeing hundreds of Hundreds, armies of angels. And we're wondering, who are they? Where did these all come from? And we'll suddenly find out that they're all all mine. That all this massive world that I created is all something that came from me. That's what it says. In Tehillim, it says that Hashem has angels that He has always watching over us to guard us. Theoretically, you know, we don't see it. It's like radio waves. We don't see radio waves, but they exist. There's a lot that we don't see. We only see a small portion of reality. But if we had a deeper vision, we'd be able to see something much, much greater than what we really see. Believe it or not, it doesn't matter. It's just the uh, concept. We also, so there's two types of, also with Jacobs, that was Machanaim. He called the place Machanaim, which is two Uh, there's a camp, two camps when he saw that dream of the angels going up he called it a place of camps two camps because there's one where we create the angels ourselves through our actions and there's one that we create that is not created through us that's already just there for us that God creates we also understand that when a person does a mitzvah very, very well in a happy way so a more powerful angel is created when a person does something in a not he also creates something but it's not as powerful the energy it's better to translate an angel as an energy than as a a a being that has wings you know that's it's just figurative it's a real existence but it's it's a powerful energy that now is it's a force that's brought into the world, whenever you do good in the world, there's this force that's now pushed into the world you don't see it, but we truly believe that this exists just like we always believed many things exist, like we always believed, Jews always believed that the world hangs on nothing <speaking in> the, world> the world hangs on nothing, that was written in Job, already thousands of years ago way before we knew that the world was round, We before We knew that the world um, is, uh, we we knew about gravity. We always knew about gravity. So we always knew about these, as much as we always knew in history about all the things we knew, we also know about this whole world that's around us that we don't even know about. I'll tell you a story uh, that's taught in the book of Malachim, the book of Kings. Before we built the temple in Israel, after the Torah finishes, we went into the land of Israel and we lived there. For many, many years. And then eventually we built the temple in Jerusalem by Solomon. Solomon, the king, the great king Solomon built the temple. But before that, there was many kings and there were prophets. Listen to this story, okay? Just even if you don't believe in the idea, but just take the story just to understand what what at least we believe in. It says that... uh, there was this king, a very bad king, his name was Aram. This is in the book of Malachim, chapter two, in the second book of Malachim, chapter six. There's two books of kings. What, the second book of kings, amazing stories of our Jewish history. And in that book, there's a story about this king called Aram. And he would fight against the Jewish people. He had many, many servants and, and warriors and fighters. And he would say to them, uh, we're going to go and kill the Jews. You know, there's a certain group here. We want to take them and destroy them. And the Jewish people had prophets. So there was a prophet called Elisha and he was told, and he knew that exactly where these people were. And they had these traps set up in a whole town in order to trap all the Jewish people that would come through it. And, um, this King, uh, sorry, the King, uh, not the king, the king of the Jewish people at the time was told by Elisha that these people are there and they're waiting to trap you. Don't go in this path. He says to them, careful, don't go on this town. Naharaim, that place where this he's waiting there. There's a whole booby trap. Don't go there. there, there there's enemies right there waiting with a whole kingdom hiding underground and they're going to come out as soon as you go through that land. Go another way. And the king of the Aram realizes that the Jewish people suddenly change course. They're going another direction. So he says to his some of his servants, what's going on here? How do the Jews know? It must be uh, that there's a spy who's telling the Jewish people what we're doing. Maybe there's a spy within us. And some of his this king, Aram's servants, tell him, no, 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 no. The Jewish people don't have spies. They have a prophet. They have somebody that speaks to Hashem all the time. They have prophets. And he knows stuff even without anybody telling him. So he says, where is this prophet, Elisha? So he says, uh, they tell him, uh, he's he's hidden in the rooms, and he's there. they said he's in a place called Dos, Dosan. In a place called Dosan, that's where he is. That's where Elisha is. He says, "Okay, let's go there, and we'll surround his city, and we'll try and kill him. Let's kill this prophet that the Jewish people have. Let's surround his s- city." So he sends horses, chariots, many warriors, everything to go around this city, and. Uh, in the morning, the Elisha, the, the prophet, wakes up and he's relaxed, he's chilled, nothing wrong. He knows about what's going on. Obviously, he's a prophet. He knows exactly what they're trying to do. The whole city is being surrounded with horses and chariots. And some of the people in his house say, our master, Elisha, you know what's going on outside our city? What are we going to do? They're surrounding us. And Elisha looks at him and he says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. We have with us much more power than that is with them. We have much more with us than is with them. What did he mean? We have much more with us than is with them. Because with them is just them. With us, we have with us much more. And Elisha starts praying to Hashem that this... This person that works in his house, that's in his house, should have a better vision, should be able to see more than what we see physically. He says, open his eyes to see more than physical reality. And Hashem opens his eyes miraculously, and this person sees mountains filled with horses and chariots of fire, and they're all surrounding Elisha thousands and thousands of chariots of fire and horses are all surrounding Elisha. And he says to him, and now the person that works for Elisha has come calm. And he says, wow, everything's going to be fine. And so it was the, the whole kingdom got destroyed. They, without understanding how the whole place got destroyed, They, they didn't survive at all. And, um, The Torah is filled with stories like this, that behind every person, there's so much more that's going on that you don't even see. Another story: Alexander the Great. Have you heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great conquered most of the world. Eventually, he comes to. It was after the Greeks were, uh, the Syrian Greeks. There was this guy called Alexander the Great. He was the greatest king. He conquered one country after the next. Eventually, comes to Jerusalem and he wants to conquer Jerusalem. He said, These Jews are different. I need to take them. Hated the Jews. He starts walking towards Jerusalem, and the Jewish people get very scared. It's during the time of the Second Temple, way long, way after the stories that I've been telling you till now. And Alexander the Great, an evil king, starts walking to Jerusalem, and the Jewish people are very nervous. They decide to send Shimon Hatzadik, the, ki- the priest. Of the holy temple of Jerusalem to come with big day the clothing of the Kohen, the Kohen Agadol, the great priest, he would have a special breastplate with special stones. That clothing was never allowed to be worn outside of the temple. As soon as he left Temple Mount, a Kohen, a priest, was never allowed to wear those clothings anymore. He had to change into regular clothes. This time they said, let Shimon had Sadiq. There was a calculation. He is allowed to go and save the Jewish people by him himself walking with the clothing of the great priest to greet Alexander the Great. Maybe he won't conquer Jerusalem and he'll be kind to the Jewish people and he won't fight us. So Shimon HaTzadik, the great Shimon, who's buried in Israel. um, Till today, many people go to his grave. Shimon HaTzadik starts leaving Jerusalem and he walks down the fields towards uh, Alexander the Great, the big army of Alexander the Great. And he's walking not alone. He's walking with his other Kohanim, other rabbis that were with him. And they're walking towards Alexander the Great who wants to destroy Jerusalem. From far, Alexander the Great sees him. And all of a sudden, Alexander says to his people, stop, stop. He get, they should make a movie like this. He gets off his horse he walks slowly towards Shimon HaTzadiq and bows down to the floor and kisses his feet. And because he did it, all of the thousands of soldiers that are following Alexander the Great also come close to Shimon HaTzadiq, to this great rabbi. And they also bow down, they follow the king. And they also bow down and they respect the great Shimon HaTzadik. They talk. The rabbis invite Alexander the Great. Instead of coming to conquer Jerusalem, come as a guest. And they invite him into Jerusalem. And he comes. He walks into Jerusalem. It's an amazing story of how he gets into the temple. He walks into the temple. But his his fighters, Alexander the Great's fighters, come up to him and say, what happened? What, what's going on here? How did you change your heart? Why did you suddenly Bow down and get off the horse. And he says to him, you see this person here? This person I always see in every single battle that I'm having. Whenever I'm having a battle, whenever I'm in war, I see a figure of this person in front of me, this Shimon, this, this big rabbi that they they brought out. I see him dressed in these clothes every single time I'm in battle. And it's always something that gives me strength. Later on, Alexander the Great comes into Jerusalem and the story walks into the Temple Mount. You know, in the Temple Mount, you weren't allowed to walk in with shoes. It's one of the rules when the Temple Mount existed. It was very specific rules of how we would work in the temple. Miracles were happening not left and right. By the way, when I tell you that a miracle happened within our people, Elisha, the stories of Alexander the Great, of Shimonat, not just one person saw this. We have millions of people that see this. It's not just one person. So it's not like a conspiracy or a nice idea. We had millions of prophets in our people. Alexander the Great comes to Temple Mount. He's not allowed in with shoes. How are they going to let him in? So they decided, very smart, if they tell him, listen, you've got to take off your shoes to come into our temple, Alexander for Alexander for the Great, it was an important thing for him to go in every land he would conquer. He would want to visit the holiest place that they believed in. When he came to the Jewish place in Jerusalem, he wanted to go into their temple. And they said, listen, when he come into, it's a problem. How are we going to tell Alexander the Great, the king, that he can't come in without, with shoes on into our temple mount. It's a very holy place. No one can come in here with shoes on. You know what we're going to do? We're going to create beautiful shoes for him. Special slippers that have no sole, basically. Special types of shoes that have no sole. We'll create one with beautiful looking, specially made, woven in a beautiful way. And we'll give it to him as a gift before he walks into the temple. And that's how they did it. That's how they managed to eventually get him in. He walked into the temple and he saw it. He wore these special shoes. He agreed, he took off his shoes. And that was the way, because you know Alexander the Great was a vicious man. He would have got angry if they would have told him, hey, please take off your shoes for us. It just teaches us how there's a way to deal with difficult situations or difficult people in a diplomatic way. If a person's able to speak, and come up with other ways of instead of fighting just these smart ways of having the person come without him getting angry you know, folding you know folding when you play poker folding folding means just give it to him let him but let's do it in another way in another way which wouldn't cause any arguments if they would have come directly to him it would have caused an uproar but what they did was they said to him uh, you know, we built you these beautiful shoes. We made for you these beautiful shoes, especially for Temple Mount. You know, these shoes that you're wearing, those are for war. We want you to wear our special shoes for our temple. And he did so. And that was the way they got out of it. Anyway, I want to go back to the story. So Jacob blesses these two sons and he crosses the hands over. Remember, we said Jacob blesses the two grandchildren, Man- Manasseh and Ephraim, crosses his hands over and that's very strange. And he tells them, "Hamalach oti, that angel that's always with me should bless you. Obviously, through God, but should bless you. Vikarevahem, they should have the merits of my parents, my forefathers. We say this. This is a very well known prayer that we all uh, should know. That we say before we go to sleep. We say it on Friday night the prayer of Hamalach, the angel. This is the prayer that Jacob says to Ephraim and Manasseh, and he says." His basic blessing at the end is, They should come fruitful like fish. I want to get into that language here. They should come successful like fish. What is so special about fish? That's the blessing. You should be successful and fruitful like fish. Our rabbis teach us that fish is something that's always covered in the water. Fish is something which is always in the water. And it's not something that we see. Unless you have a tank, uh fish tank in your home, or whatever else you call it in America, then you're seeing the fish. But in general, the ocean covers the fish. You don't really see them. Once in a while, you'll see a fish jumping out, you know, a whale, wow. But generally, they're all, there's a whole world, and it's all under the water. And our rabbis teach us that just like Fish are things that are covered, that their, their success isn't something that we see all the time. So too, Jacob says, I want you to be blessed in that same way. So it wasn't just that you should become successful. for <inaudible> You should become successful like fish. You should be fruitful and many like fish are. In what way? In the way that they are covered. And that's also a very powerful lesson. It's not good enough to have success. It's not good enough to have a blessing. You also want to have the quality of a blessing which is covered. That's why our rabbis say, They say a blessing really sticks strongly on something that's covered from the eyes. Somebody gets a new car. Great, you need it for work, whatever. But why rub it into the face of a person that doesn't even have a car? Hey, yo, I got my car, you know, new Bentley. What are you driving? Oh, sorry, I take Uber. You know, why, why flash the success in an unnecessary way? If it's a way that's going to benefit the other people, then do it. But why flash your things to the public in a way that will cause other people to say, wait, I wish I had that. A very important thing in life is you could tell people certain parts of your success but most of it needs to be covered because when it's covered that's when the blessing will last longer. That's one of the teachings that we have from this blessing as well of Jacob to his sons. He continues just before we continue so remember he's These hands are swapped over and he says to him, all of a sudden at this point, Joseph stops his father and he says, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you switching your hands? Please put your right hand on Menasheh and your left hand on Ephraim. Why are you putting your left hand on the older son and your right hand on the younger son? Swap. Don't do that. That's going to cause problems and at this point his father says yadati bani yadati i know my son i know i know exactly what i'm doing i'm doing this purposely because he is going to become one day much greater than he will wow the younger one is going to come greater than the older one as soon as he said that what does jacob see jacob sees the joy in ephraim and manasseh He sees the joy in these two sons that they don't get jealous. And it's the first time in the whole biblical story that there's two sons where one son gets more than the other and it's the younger one and the older isn't fighting. There's many brothers throughout the book of Bereshit. First Cain and Hevel. Remember them? Cain and Abel. What happened there? Well, the younger one was the one that was doing good things, and the older one got jealous, and didn't learn from the younger one and killed him. You go further on Abraham and Yishmael. Abraham, sorry, Abraham has two, he has one son. His first son is Yishmael; it's his older son, and then eventually he has Yitzchak, Isaac. Yishmael starts fighting with his younger brother, trying to kill him. Why? Because there was an extra blessing for the younger one. You go further on, Isaac has two sons. Who are they? Jacob and Esav. Again, the older son is not getting as popular as the younger one. The younger one is the one that gets the blessing. What happens? Esav says, I'm going to kill my brother. He took the blessing. I'm going to take him down. And he chases him out. Of his and Jacob has to run away. Joseph and his brothers. Again. What happened with Joseph and his brothers? His brothers threw him in the pit. Again, his brothers are trying to fight and hurt him. This time, actually, Joseph was the younger one. and He was the younger one, not the youngest, but one of the younger brothers. And what happened to Joseph? He was loved more by his father than all of the other brothers. He was the closest to his father. He was the most similar to his father, the most... That was the one that Jacob loved more. Even though the Talmud says you shouldn't express your love, even if there is such a thing as you have more of an affection to one child over another, you shouldn't express it. The Talmud says that that was one of the problems that Jacob had. But again, you see that there was a fight. The brothers threw him in the pit. Finally, we come to the end of the book of Bereshit, and we have two brothers that are now standing next to their grandfather, the grandfather is blessing them. And the grandfather is saying that the younger one is going to be greater than the older one. Menashe is going to build much greater things than the older one. The older ones also, he, he's also going to be blessed. He's also a blessing. But you should know that the younger one's going to bring more to the, than, to the world than the younger one. The, the, sorry, the younger one's going to be bring more to the world than the older one. And for that reason, I'm putting in more energy into that side. It's interesting. No, Jacob didn't Jacob can't change reality. He can just bless already what he sees is gonna happen. He sees that this he doesn't say you should both be, I'm blessing you both to be as powerful as each other. Doesn't do that. He sees that the younger one's gonna be different. He see. it's a very important message. When I see two children in front of me, two people in front of me. I have to be realistic. I have to know which one's gonna be successful more and which one's not. I need to see. And then help them channel that energy based on where that child is at. That's what a blessing is. It's not that you're changing the person. The person needs to be is the same person, but you want to help him being even become even more successful so that he can do even more good. So, anyway, it's just another point, but. Here Jacob is looking at, Menash, at, at Ephraim and he's saying he's, going to be, he's also going to be a blessing, but he's going to be more of a blessing than him. And what happens? They keep quiet. They don't argue. What does Jacob do? Immediately after he says, through you, two boys, the Jewish people are now going to be blessed on from now on. And from now on, We use that blessing of Hamalach on our children, on Shabbat, on all blessings that we do. Some have the custom to do it after Shabbat. But we all say, When we bless our children, we say you should be like Ephraim and Menashe. You should be as great as them. What's so special? Why them more than any other? We have many great people in our history. We don't say you should be like Moses. You don't say you should be like Aaron. We don't. Say you should be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Till today, we bless our children in that way. See, you, Chaz, we bless our children in that way. Why? Because they are the unique kids that the younger one was more powerful and knows that he's going to be more powerful than the older one, and yet the older one is happy for him. The older one is saying, great, my younger brother is going to be more successful than me. Great, I'm so happy for him. I'm I'm happy for his success. That's also a very powerful lesson. What do you gain when you see the success of someone that's close to you and you get jealous and you say, I'm going to stop him? What do you gain? Nothing. The opposite. If you support him, if you support somebody that's already successful, now you come a part of him. You'll gain from his success as well. You don't gain from the jealousy. That's what we see throughout the Torah from the beginning until this point with Abraham and Isaac and all the brothers that fought. They went on the wrong side of history. Suddenly Ephraim and Menashe, Menashe looks at his brother and says, I'm happy for you that you were successful. What happens? Immediately after, Jacob says, because of this, the Jewish people are going to always be remembered through you guys. Through which guy? Through the older one. The older one, by not being jealous of the younger one, was the one that empowered the uh, younger one and also empowered himself. You only gain by empowering as opposed to being, being jealous and trying to bring down the other person. You will lose By trying to bring down somebody who's actually succeeding in some area of life more than you. Another thing that's important is that Ephraim said, Menasheh, sorry, the older one said, That's him. He's Menasheh. I am Ephraim. Uh, He's Ephraim. I'm Menasheh. I don't care what he is. I'm happy for him, but that's not me. I have my purpose in this world. So he's going to be more than me, but I need to care. I'm me. I can't say, I wish I had the brain of so-and-so. I wish I had the body of so-and-so. I wish I had, I have to say, this is a very important message as well, the body that I have, the brain that I have, the capacities that I have, the potential I have, is the best thing that I could have, period. Oh, someone else is more successful than me? Fine, but that's not me. And that was the power of Menashe. He was able to look at his brother and say, fine, he's going to be more successful, but at the end of the day, The world still needs me for a reason, and I'm going to be the best me that I can be. Not trying to be somebody else. I'm just going to finish off with the last blessings that this is so powerful, that all the tribes were getting. Rabbi Victor Miller points out that if you look after this story of Jacob blessing his grandchildren, he moves on to blessing all of his children. He goes to Reuven, to Shimon, to Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, all his family, and he blesses each one according to their blessing. He blesses each one. I'm going to finish off with this. If you look at their blessings, it's at the end of Vayichi, at the end of this Torah portion, towards the end of this Torah portion, you look at the blessings that he gives each child, Jacob, before he passes away, it's very strange. You know what he does? He calls... His children, a lot of them, in the names of wild animals. Yehuda, ke'ari, you're like a lion. He looks at Binyamim, he calls him a ze'ev yitraf, a, a, a wolf that's hungry. Dan, he calls him a shvifon, a snake. He calls his children by wild animals. That needs explanation. What is What is going on here? Why is he calling a lot of his children by wild animals? Call them a sheep. But, you know, a sheep is also uh, something that we are considered to Hashem, to God. We are like sheep to God because we are f- we follow in his way. So There is many times where we are considered as sheep. Why is it that Jacob calls all of his children and he blesses them and he tells them, you are like a lion, a bull, a harri, you're like the snake, you're like the... Hungry wolf! What's going on here? If you think about it, all wild animals are animals that their nature is, the damage. You can't own a pet, uh, a pet lion. If you do, it'll have to be in a safe zoo, and even that, it's not so safe, right? All wild animals are united in the fact that they are animals that can... Their nature is to cause damage. But they're also united in the fact that they're filled with energy. That's why the word for a wild animal, not a behemoth, not a regular animal, domesticated animal, a wild animal is called a chaya. What does the word chaya sound like? Does anyone know? What does that word sound like? Chaim. Chaim, life. Wild animals, although they're dangerous, yes, they're also full of energy. They have a tremendous amount of energy. Why do they have such energy? Because that's how Hashem made them. Hashem made this world in different ways. But there's something that we can learn from them too. Even the wild animals. When it says get up in the morning, what does it say? When you get up in the morning, you should get up like a lion to serve Hashem. Not like a sheep, like a lion. It says, You have to remove bad from within your people, within yourself. How are you going to remove bad? you know how? Like a snake. That's how you remove bad. Yes, it's true that The sheep teaches us a sense of humility. It teaches a sense of devotion. That's true. But in order in this world to survive, we also need tough people. We need people, and that's who our people are. It says, Who's a strong person? Somebody who can conquer his inclination. That's a strong person. How do you conquer your... We think strong people are people that look like wild animals. They look like them. They have great big muscles. That's not strength. Not according to Jewish teaching. True strength is someone who's able to overcome temptation. And in that regard, those are the blessings that the Jacob's children also had. It wasn't just that you should be blessed. You should be successful. No. You should be strong like lions, like wolves, like snakes. You know why? Because there's times when people are going to laugh at you for what you're doing. You have to be a lion to respond, not necessarily in their face, but in your mind. What are those uh, strings that you Jewish people hang? I'll tell you. You think to yourself, this is what you should think to yourself. You won't answer, but you'll say to yourself, I'll tell you what strings I'm I'm having after you tell me all the strings that you have coming out of your head. All that hairstyle. I don't know what you're doing there. Can you explain to me those strings? Why is it that you know, these are the thoughts that we need to have. I'm str- I'm, I am confident with what I'm doing. I'm serving Hashem. So I have all these strings that are hanging off me, but that's to serve Hashem. There's a tzitzit. It's very hard to be a committed person to good because the world is very much filled with a lot of craziness says that it's much easier to find a lie in this world than truth. That's why the word lie, sheker, the letters are close to each other. Whilst truth, the letters are the furthest away that they could be. Those letters are the furthest away that they could be from each other. Because truth is very hard to find. A lie is easy to find. You'll find it everywhere. We're not living in a world where everyone's doing the right thing all the time. But in order to do the right thing, you need to be a lion. We don't want weaklings, and you know what? Weaklings are not attractive, not in dating, not in 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 not to your children, not to the people that you work with. And I'm not saying that you should be mean. That's not what we're saying. We also have the quality of being like sheep. But there's also this quality of using your strength, being strong. It says when we sing on the night of on um, fr- um, Friday night, what do we sing? Who can find us a a woman of vigor, a woman of which means strength, a woman of strength? Yes, that's what a that's what we also ish a man of strength. That's what we want. We don't want people that are just following, just because they're following everybody else. It takes tremendous courage when all your friends are doing the wrong thing and you say, guys, I'm not really into going out. I, I, I don't know. That stuff doesn't do it for me. I'm into other things. That's somebody, who's, that's somebody who's attractive in my eyes. That's somebody who's really got something going. That's strength. Strength doesn't mean that there's muscle. So muscle can be taken down in minutes. But overcoming temptations, that's where real strength is at. So, Silence. Being silent takes much more strength than speaking. A child that always hears yes from his parents. You know what happens to that child? He's not strong. He doesn't learn how to overcome resistance. Even a person. You know what Amazon is doing? It's making us weak. You know why? I need something. Let's order it. Click. Click on one button. Click, click, click. I need it. I need it. I don't order. There's no feeling of like, do I really need this? There's no internal strength of overcoming. The more we strengthen ourselves by overcoming ourselves and actually saying no to certain situations when I really consider whether that's when I'm practicing my Givura, my strength, my Ari. That's when I'm showing myself that I'm strong. I'm, that doesn't matter. We, one of our prayers is, Hashem, please give your people strength. That's one of our prayers that we always say. What does it mean, strength? Strength to overcome the embarrassment. Strength to not be embarrassed of doing good. Ozer we say in our prayers. Hashem, for helping us to Ozer Yisrael b'kevura we say in the prayer every morning when we wake up. Ozer Yisrael, you know what we say? For when we get up, we, we make a blessing on everything. That I can see, that I can dress, that I can walk. One of them is that I can put a belt on. I can put a belt on. I can cover myself and I can use strength to cover myself and put a belt to tie my clothes with strength. It also means that I have a belt in me, a strong lion in me that says no when it needs to say no that has the courage to push away the things that I shouldn't do and I should have the courage to get up on time and do the things that I need to because that's what makes a person uh, a, a, a valuable person anyway look at the Lashonara group we created somebody in our community was sick and we decided to create a Hara group and immediately strength everyone came in and they said I'll join I'll join I'll join And all of a sudden, Shira's group is packed with so many uh, people that decided to join uh, that group, right? That's real strength of everybody saying, let's do something straight away, right? Getting up, not just sitting in a group. It takes strength to exist. And those are the blessings as well that was given to the tribes themselves. Anyway, okay. So uh, I guess... That's it for Bayechi. Thank you for listening.